Amen. Amen. Welcome home. My name is Tom. Good to see you. Wonderful, wonderful that you're here. Um, uh, glad uh, that you were able to join us. Uh, if we have a couple of people um, who come in, uh, just make some room for them. Uh, they forgot that we're starting at 10 and not 10.30. Children, you may be dismissed for Children's Church. Looks like the Boogamans are going up there with you. The Pierces. Oh, the blessing that awaits you. Go ahead. Uh, it's great. Um, we are in week two of a five-week series we're calling Imagine. And uh, this is Imagine Belonging. And uh, we're going to have a great time this morning. And uh, I hope you'll continually feel more and more that way that you belong here. Um, because that's God's plan for us, for us to belong powerfully and deeply to Jesus and to belong powerfully and deeply to one another. And, and that's what we're going to look at. We looked at salvation last week. We're looking at belonging this week. Um, very, very powerful stuff because it connects to the great commandment. The great commandment, uh, Jesus said, he said they, they, they asked him, what is the most important thing? And he said this, to love God, right? To love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then what's, what's the second one? It's, it's to love one another, right? As yourself. So that's the cross, right? We're, we're vertical and we're horizontal. And, and one of the tragedies of the church uh, is that many places get one of the two right at the exclusion of the other, okay? Um, the, 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 the fundamentalists uh, have the rap and, and it's earned very well that they get the vertical part right. They love Jesus. They love God. They love his word. Don't give a care about people who don't look like them, who don't act like them, who are far from Jesus Christ. They get the gospel right. They get community wrong. Now, on the other side, you have the emergent church. Okay, you have the, the, the people who care so much about each other at the exclusion of the gospel, at the exclusion of God's word, at the exclusion of the one who calls us together, who calls us to him. So here, we want to get both pieces right. We desperately want to because the gospel without community or community without gospel is only a part of the good news. Okay, so we want to care deeply and be deeply connected to Jesus, and we want to be deeply, deeply connected in each other's lives. Deeply connected in each other's lives, and that's, that's what we're going to look at this morning. That's where full redemption comes. That's where God's plan comes. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom relationship. That's walking and living in the kingdom. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Mother Teresa once said this, great lady of God. The biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, of being deserted and alone, of not belonging, of being disconnected. Everybody here knows what she was talking about in some area of our lives. Every single one of us knows what it feels like to be disconnected, to be isolated, to be in a crowd of people, but feeling absolutely alone. Nobody truly knows me. Nobody can truly handle that. Nobody completely wants to do that. And I don't completely want to let down my guard to let people in. 
And in so doing, we, we, we come to Jesus, we come to God, and we wonder why are we not experiencing all that he promises, all that the Bible says, and I would submit to you is because we don't, you and I don't yet understand the belonging, the belonging piece. So, so we want to we explore that. We want to imagine that. We don't want anybody leaving feeling disenfranchised, marginalized, like you don't belong. Here's the good, here, here's the good news. You belong here even if you don't believe like us. I'm not saying you're a member of this church, but you belong here and you are of worth before you even believe in Jesus Christ. His favorite people were the people who were farthest from him. That's who he came for. He came for us. Okay, so that's what we're going to do. At some point, each of us wonders if we really do belong. Now, Shri's brother and sisters made her feel that way. She has a brother and two sisters, and they convinced her that she was adopted. Now, nothing wrong with adoption. It's a wonderful thing. In fact, if you're a Christian or you become one today, you're adopted by God. But they convinced her that her parents found her in the garbage, and she was going back there if they didn't do everything her brother and sisters told her to do. And we don't want that. We all know what it feels like to be isolated, disconnected, don't belong. And it is a disease. In fact, it's spiritually toxic. In the almost three years that I've been here as interim, as pastor, as one of the pastors here, I can't tell you. Let me say 80% maybe of the people whose lives are falling apart at the very core feel disconnected to Jesus Christ and even more so, disconnected from each other. Nobody knows me. Nobody cares. And we live in a community that attracts independent, bold people. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. But if that translates into the way that we do life, the way that we do marriage, the way that we do friendship, the way that we do church, it's toxic and it's deadly. I want to explore what it means to belong. It's at the core of our faith. Christ calls us the body. That is ultimately connected in all the most beautiful and wonderful and difficult and painful ways. But if we don't go there, we don't go to him. Not truly, not fully. So that's where we want to look. That's where we want to look. We're going to go through a book of the Bible today. Don't panic. It's a short one, and we're not even going to read it all. I'm going to tell you the story, and we're going to jump in and, and take a few key verses and pull them out. It's the book of Ruth. It's a great love story. Some of you guys are going, oh, oh it's a chick flick. No, no. There's a lot of death, okay? There's a little bit of that. There's a, there's a stud in there who is just incredible. So I want you to stay with us. Um, his name is Boaz. You'll meet him in a minute. Um, and I want us to, to see how the same we are. The Bible is not an irrelevant book, and we're not unpacking a story that happened thousands of years ago that doesn't have any teeth, doesn't have any message for what we're going through, what we're feeling, what we're hungering through right now. Because 
God's word is timeless. It is timeless truth for us. And Jesus will speak to us. It, it resounds with his grace, with his connectivity, with himself, with God, with each other. And we're going to see that. And I, as we go through, I want you to see how their desires, how their needs, how their longings, how their fulfillment ties to the very things we crave and often try to live without. And, and I want us to imagine that. I want, before we go into the story, I want you to think of it and hear it in terms of belonging, being redemptive. Redemptive, redeemer, redemption. These are all part of the same word. I want you to think of rescue, rescue, and ransom. That's what redeeming means, okay? And it's a very big theme in this book. In four chapters, it is mentioned in one form or another 23 times. So redemption, rescue, ransom is tied to being connected rightly with God through Jesus and being connected deeply, deeply in the lives of one another. Excuse me a second, and then we'll pray and then we'll, uh, we'll start to unpack this. Let's ask for God's help. Let's do that. Lord, you are so good. Lord, your plan for us is so much more than we can imagine. Lord, stretch our hearts, stretch our minds, open our eyes to who you are and who we are in you and who you call us to be in and for and through one another. Lord, be glorified. Lord, break down the walls that we have put up in our relationship with you, in our relationship with the body. Lord, put us in touch with the great needs and the great cries of our heart and let us lift them up to you. Let us be broken before you and each other. Lord, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. I ask you, I ask you to cast him out and away. Lord, and I pray for the Holy Spirit, that Lord, that you might send your word forth, that it would bear fruit in my life and the life of those here that, that I love, that you love and that you would leave us changed people. And we would go from this place more connected to you and more connected to one another than we could ever imagine. And we ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, as we walk through this, I want you to, to, to see how very similar the needs are, how very similar the hungers are. <clears throat> the story of Ruth starts out like a bad country song, okay? There's a lot, there's a lot. Things start falling apart. It's one tragedy after another. There's a woman, it starts with her mother-in-law, a woman named Naomi. Now, Naomi is a good, she's a God-fearing woman, and she's married to her husband, Elimelech. I debated whether to do this. I have to do this. I've always wanted to do this. Elimelech, say it with me, Elimelech. Say it again, Elimelech, Elimelech. I want you to say it again and again until I stop you, okay? Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech. Do it! Elimelech, 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 Elimelech. You let me down. You weren't there for me. 
I feel like I don't belong. You'll never forget his name, though, will you? It's good. You better remember him because he's not on the scene long. Naomi and Elimelech, they have two sons. They have two sons, and they live in Bethlehem. And they go from Bethlehem to Moab, not Utah, Moab, nearby, because there's a famine, and they hear that there's more food in Moab. Now, their two sons are named Malon and Chilion. Now, as soon as they get there, no sooner do they get to Moab, but Elimelech dies. So Naomi is a widow, but she has two sons. She has Malon and Chilion. And we're going to be talking as we go through the story about names. Because names, very often in the Bible, and at that time in history, meant something. They tell us about somebody. Not like today, we tend to name our children after the person who was singing on the radio the first time we made out with their mom. Okay? Don't name your kid 50 Cent, please. Please. So Malon, Malon actually means sickness. And Chilion means crying. So there's a little, little child abuse there. And they get there, they get to Moab, and the two sons of this widow marry Moab women. One is named Ruth, and the other is named Orpah. It's not Oprah, it's Orpah. Orpah means gazelle, you know, sleek, fast running, so you know there's no connection to Oprah. So we will see, oh, come on. She said the same about me, I'm sure. We love her. It's okay. Pray for her. Um, she's going to run off in a little bit. So she is properly named. So these two marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And a side note that we need to understand because it plays through the whole story that Moab was a place uh, that had a very bad reputation. It had a very bad reputation, a very racy place known for sexual immorality and, and sexual deviance, uh, gave rise to the phrase, what happens in Moab stays in Moab. Uh, the reason for this, it has roots that go all the way back to Genesis 19. <coughs> Moab received its name because it was the son of Lot. And you remember Lot because he was connected with Sodom and Gomorrah. The interesting thing about Lot's son, Moab, was he was conceived with Lot's oldest daughter. Yeah, we said that. It went, it, he, Lot, had a son with his oldest daughter named Moab. So Moab's mother is also his aunt. And Moab's father is also his grandfather. And you can read all about it in Genesis 19. I see some of you young guys nodding your head and go, dude, I really should read my Bible more. Yeah. <laughs> you need to repent of that. <laughs> the motivation behind it. So the Moabites were known for their idolatry and their sexual deviance. And the Jews, the people from Bethlehem, they wanted nothing, nothing to do with the Moabites. They were foreigners. They were aliens. They, were, they looked down upon them morally and socially. And these two sons 
of Naomi marry Moabite women. And what happens to the sons? They die. They die in Moab. So Naomi is a widow. Ruth is a widow. Orpah is a widow. We have these three widows. Women were not treated well at that time. Widows were, were treated even worse. They are socially, they are uh, power-wise, influence-wise, at the bottom rung. They are very vulnerable people. And after the two sons marry Ruth and Orpah, they die. So Naomi is in a bad place. No husbands, no sons, no family, no one belonged to, no hope for the future. She's headed back to Bethlehem. She figures if she's going to starve and die, she might as well do it in her hometown. So she's headed back, and she says to the, the other two, the, the daughters-in-law, go back, go back to your own families. You're from this town. You're from this city. Stay here. I'm going back alone. At least there is a future for you. You're young. You can get remarried. You can have a family. You can belong. But as for me, the Lord has turned his back on me. See, when we reach tragedy, sometimes that's what we see. The Lord has turned his back. She was wrong. She was wrong. He had a great and glorious plan, and he has one for you too. All right, so we'll pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 1. She says this to the girls, go back. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. No, we will return with you to your people. Talk, my friends, is cheap. At least with one of them it was. How many people tell you, oh man, you're my BFFFFFFFF. It's easy to say. It's tough to do. It's inefficient to do. It's painful to do. It's glorious to do. But many people are unwilling to do it. Ruth meant it. Orpah did not. Jump down to verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices. This is Orpah and Ruth. And they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed her, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed her goodbye. This woman is bad luck. Look, my life has just been in the tank since, since I fell in with this family. He dies, my husband dies, there's a famine. She, everything she touches dies. She's gonna kiss her goodbye. But Ruth clings, clings. How many Facebook friends you got? I know, because I'm friends with a lot of you. Several hundred? How many people in your Rolodex? How many people on your Christmas card list for, the, for those who are older? How many of those, when you have experienced the roughest, toughest, ugliest, most devastating times of your life will kiss you goodbye and how many will cling to you even when it costs them everything? Are you one to kiss and say goodbye or are you one to cling, to cling for everything they're worth? to make sure that they know that they're not alone. Our community 
the people far from God particularly are dying on the vine. They are dying inside and some inside the church are dying because of disconnection because they know all too well what a hug and a kiss and a goodbye means. But the idea of somebody clinging and saying, if it costs me everything, my convenience, my comfort, my preferences, my money, my time, my sleep, my food, my clothing, I'm yours. That is the kingdom of God. That is the body of Christ. And that is rare, even in the church. The day that we start loving each other like that, the Bible says, everyone will want it. Because they haven't seen it. They haven't seen it. Glimpses here, glimpses. But I got some changing to do. I got some changing to do. Maybe you do too. So Ruth clung. Verse 15, let's take a look. Ruth said, oh, Naomi said, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah kisses, goes, Ruth clings and stays. Verse 16, look at me. I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. This is a beautiful prayer. I want you to let it penetrate your heart. Ruth said, "From do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if anything but death parts me from you. I want to live with you. I want to do life with you. I want to worship with you. I want to eat with you. I want to cry with you. I want to rejoice with you. I want to die with you. And nothing but death is going to pull me away from you. That's the call. That is the glorious, blessed call of the people of God for us to belong to one another. And my friends, we don't even love our spouses that way. I don't even love you that way all the time. And I repent of that. So many of you here, I want to grow in that love because until I do, I can say all the right things. I can memorize all the right verses. But Christ who lives in me is not fully realized and not fully known unless the love he has for you is the love that I have for you. Unless the love he has for those whose behavior offends us is the love that he has for them full of grace and mercy. You belong to me. You belong to me. We're going to do life together in an uncommon way. And you know this is a God thing. 
this woman feels this way about her mother-in-law. It is a God thing. Married men, can I get an amen? Okay, you're wise not to say it too loud. When you can feel this way about your mother-in-law, it is a God thing. Married women, can I have an amen? All right. You know it's true. You know it's true. Verse 19. Before we get there, I want you to see that Orpah was a daughter-in-law. Ruth. Ruth was a daughter. Verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they came to Bethlehem, the whole, whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, the women said, you know, back then, back then it was the tradition when two women came into town for the women to talk about them. Back then. <laughs> Particularly if they were from Moab or, or Vegas or, or wherever. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me Naomi, which means sweet or pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt with me bitterly. I went away full, lauders brought me back empty. Don't call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Lord has brought calamity upon me. That's how she feels. And God was leading her through pain, through belonging to him and belonging to others into the greatest blessing she could ever imagine. All right. All right. We're, we're moving. Oh, Lord. This is good. Okay. We're through with verse one, chapter one. This is great. So Naomi's dead husband, they get back to Bethlehem and Elimelech, whose name you will remember, had some relatives back in Bethlehem. And so Naomi tells Ruth that there are some relatives there and that she should go. They have no one to supply them with food, no man to give protection for them. So Ruth has the idea she's going to go and glean some grain from the fields because she hopes that one of the men will be kind to her who owns, who owns the land. Now, gleaning is very important. Gleaning uh, is what Ruth is going out to do. It is the biblical equivalent of dumpster diving, kind of. You know, they're going into these fields. They're trying to pick up the barley harvest. And, and what the gleaners get to do is be the poor and the disenfranchised and the powerless. This is Ruth because she's a widow too. She's a young woman. And, and so she's going to go behind after they harvested the crops, after they bundle them together in sheaves, she's going to pick up the stuff that they cast away because maybe it was bruised or, or maybe uh, they just dropped it or maybe it was too small or maybe it's on the edges or in the corners. They're going to go in there and they're going to pick up the leftovers so that they can have enough to eat. And here's what it says. Here's what it says. Um, that Boaz, Boaz, he's a great guy. He's a godly man. He's a wealthy man. He's a distant relative of Elimelech. And he's out there in the fields and he's blessing his servants. He's, he's, he's praying blessing over them and they bless him back. And he says, who is this woman? Because he hadn't seen her. And he takes ownership of the people in his field, the people in his employ. Do you take ownership of the people at your, in your classroom? Do you take ownership of the people you work with, who work for you or work over you? He did. He did. We're going to pick it up in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Boaz said to them, who is it uh, before this? And they said, uh, she came. The worker said, she asked if she could, she could be here and, and, and glean. And Boaz said to the Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field. Don't leave this one. <coughs> Excuse me. 
but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? A very dangerous, very vulnerable place to be for a young woman who is with these men who are reaping. And he has warned them. He has said, don't you touch her. Don't you touch any of these women because they could be attacked or molested or raped in the field. It was very dangerous. He says, as long as you are on my land, nothing is going to come uh, of harm to you. In fact, and when you are thirsty, you go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn out, have, have pulled out of the well for their own refreshment, for their own hydration. Now, he's breaking down a lot of barriers here. I'm putting you women on, on, on the level of the men and, and what my men have drawn out to refresh them, to hydrate them, to nourish them, that's for you. And I want you, I want you taken care of. And this blows her away. This blows her away. And she falls on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am, say it with me, a foreigner. Why should you take notice of me? Because I don't belong. Why should you take notice of me when your people want nothing to do with my people? When I'm a widow and powerless, when I'm a woman who is looked down on and scorned because of where I'm from and what I've been through because I'm disconnected and don't belong. Why have you taken notice of me? Because I am a foreigner. What's the takeaway for us? Many followers of Christ have a long list of people, types of people that we deem foreigners, foreigners from God, foreigners from Jesus, foreigners from his grace, who do we look down on? I'm going to say something that's going to cause me to get emails. And frankly, I don't care. We need to come to grips with our heritage, Baptists. We need to come to grips with our reputation, well-earned, Baptists, of which I am one. We have the reputation not primarily about the God we love. We have the well-earned reputation of the people we hate. The people we view as foreigners that we don't take notice of. Not just us, but denominationally, if you talk to those far from Jesus Christ about what it means to be a Baptist, it means you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't chew, you only listen to Christian music, and you hate everybody who isn't like you. If you're not conservative, if you're not Republican, if your hair is not short and clean, if you, 
If you have any visible sin in your life, you are a foreigner and you don't belong. And when you and I, apart from our desire and hunger to repent of that, stand before God who said, my mercy is for all. My people, we're to love as I love. We're to reach out as I reach out. We're to be compassionate and love those passionately and deeply who are farthest from me. Baptists, our theology is great. It is biblical. It is wonderful. But unless our theology, what we know about Jesus, translates into how we love people, then we are Pharisees. She said to Boaz, you are awesome because you took notice of me when you had No reason to. My friends, we have reason to. For Jesus took notice of me and of you when he had no reason to. This is not a story of a cloistered church who comes together, looks the same, prays the same. Isn't it great? Thank God. Thank God we're not strung out on drugs. Thank God. Thank God we're not sexually immoral. Thank God. Thank God we don't live like those people. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. And in that humility that comes from one who has received mercy, we go out and we love each other and the people who are far from God in such an uncommon way that we are not fully fit to do without God, without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit. We give them a place to belong. We cling. We cling. All right, that was a little bit of a rant. Everybody belongs. Jesus' plan is multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-traditional, multi It goes around the world. How do we live at peace with those who are different from us? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Boaz answered her. Verse 11. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father, your mother, your native land, came to the people that did not know you, that, that, that you did not know before. And then he says a prayer over her blessing. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Blessing wings refuge. He prays this over her. He does more than pray this over her. He becomes the answer to her prayer. Through God, Boaz becomes to her the blessing, the wings, the refuge. He prays this, then he allows God to make him become this. How do we do it? Many people do this. Oh, come, let me pray for you. 
Come, let me pray for you. I pray, I pray healing. I pray blessing. I pray that you would be um, never alone, that you would be supplied, that you would be um, all taken care of. Okay, goodbye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. What about us? Do we want to be the answer to the prayers we pray for people? That's belonging. You can't say, Jamie, I, I, I want every need in your life to be met. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. No. We need to come alongside and say, wherever you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Where you worship, I will worship. The burdens you carry, I will carry. The things you rejoice in, I will rejoice in. And as long as there is an ounce of strength or a penny in my pocket or a food in my fridge or a waking hour in my life, you will not be alone. So what happens? Boaz marries Ruth in a beautiful, beautiful way, and he redeems her. He buys back the land that her father-in-law owned. He buys her back. He takes care of Naomi. I wanted to unpack more of the scripture, but there's so much there, I encourage you to go through it. And they have a son together, and the son's name is Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of King David. Look what God does in Bethlehem. Look what he does in Bethlehem. He takes a woman, Ruth, who loves God and is willing to be vulnerable and connected with other people and he redeems her. And this woman who has had tragedy in her life, who has come from a place of no reputation, is now the great-grandmother of King David and is now in the family line of Jesus. When we connect deeply with Jesus and connect deeply with each other, then we, in a sense, are in Bethlehem. And Christ can be born in that relationship, in that experience, uh, like we've never imagined. That's not just the story of Ruth. That's the story of Tom. That's the story of you. That's the call to belong. And that the very times when we need people are the very times that we tend to pull away. If your marriage is starting to get rocky, if you can't find, figure out why your friends are treating you the way you, they are, if you're falling into old habits and old sins, if you're just struggling, chances are you're going to pull away from the church. Chances are you're going to 
away from each other. The very time when we need connection the most is when we're most prone to pull away. This life that Christ has called for those who follow him or those who want to is one of deep, deep connection. And yet most people will not choose that because it's ugly and it's hard and we need to fight for it. And everything in me wants to do the exact opposite. But you know what happens if I try to walk alone? You know what happens if I don't have people like Matt and Ryan and Ryan and Chris and a bunch of others, the elders, some of the men here, who know me well enough to say, Tom, you're not doing so well. You're not doing so well. You know what happens? If they're not there, my marriage suffers. My fathering suffers. And I'm not pastor here anymore because my life gets wrecked. Why am I not experiencing God? How many times do I hear that? How many times does Matt hear that? Why am I not experiencing God? I pray. I do time in his word. You're isolated. God gave us his word, gave us his spirit, and he gave us each other to experience him. We are his hands, his feet, his heart, his skin. And we need to be long to each other in a way that the world would say is unwise. It's too costly. But that is how he's chosen to call us. Not as a bunch of individuals all over the town, but he's calling us as a people. Why do we sing together here? Because we're one with him and each other in that moment of praise. Why do we come together here? Because we need to be connected. Why do we have bread and the cup spread before us? Because he died alone so that we would never have to be. He calls us as a family of faith. It's not just limited to Bethany. The good news is this. We get to go bring the, bring the message to the people who think they're disqualified from belonging. There may be some of you here today saying, my past disqualifies me from belonging. If you knew the things that I had done, the things I'd thought, the things I've said, God doesn't want me and you wouldn't want me either. When Jesus died, there was a thief next to him who said, I deserve to be here. The things in my life I've done, I deserve to be crucified next to you. But you haven't done anything wrong. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Right then, he belonged. He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. The thief had no time to do anything right. He had no time to go undo the wrong that he'd done. 
to become qualified. What qualified him was what Jesus was doing on the cross, in his place, for his sins. And that was all he needed to belong. That is all you need to belong. That's offered to you today. Don't pull away. Press in. Press in. Press in. The worst kind of punishment that our jail system has is what? Solitary confinement. And yet it is the very sentence that we impose on ourselves. Why do we keep away from it? Why do we stay guarded? Why do we let certain people in but here and no further? Because we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be broken. We don't want people to see. And if we don't let the people of Jesus there, it should raise serious questions about whether we let Jesus there. children's song and they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Not by the people we call foreigners. Not from the guardedness. Not from the holding back. Radical belonging. Radical belonging. That's what we're going for. I'm not there yet. But I have God's word and his Holy Spirit and I have you to walk through life with. And you have me and you have each other. My friends, a lot of people talk about following Jesus, talk about church. That is following Jesus. That is church. That is kingdom living. And that's what we're hungry for. And we will settle for nothing less because that's what Jesus calls us to. Only in that love will we know him. Only in that love will we glorify him. It is costly and you must fight for it. But that's what Jesus is calling us to. And on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He thanked his father and he gave it to his disciples. He gave it to them all. He said, take this individually and collectively and eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you and you will become my body. That's what he's saying. Body's not chopped up. Body's not separated. We all own, belong to, are connected to each other. And the reason life feels so broken and not right and doesn't jive with what we read here is because we disconnect from God and we disconnect from one another. And I plead with you, don't do it anymore. I'm pleading with myself. When supper was ended, he took the cup And again, he gave the Father thanks and the praise, and he says, this is the cup of my blood. It's the blood of a new and everlasting covenant where you have belonging. 
And when you drink this, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember that. It's a great, great blessing for him to be all that you need to belong. Not just this way, but this way. Until we experience Jesus in each other, we've not really experienced Jesus at all. The Bible tells us to take some time and examine our hearts. Let him forgive us, let him wash us clean, and then come and receive. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you. The bread is here, the cup is here. Come receive. If you'd like to belong to Jesus Christ, but you don't, this can be your way of receiving him into your heart as your Lord, as your Savior, as your belonging. If you'd like to pray, I'll be up there. Others will be up there. If you want to receive for the first time as a way of receiving Christ, you can do that. I'd encourage you, if you're here with somebody, and most of you are, I'd ask you to serve that person. Take the bread and offer it to them as the body of Christ. Take the cup and offer it to them as the blood of Christ. If you're not here with somebody, I'm here. I don't want us to do anything alone. We are so attuned, those of us who hang around in churches, my personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. What about our corporate decision? What about the body? There is glory unspeakable, joy undefinable, pain unimaginable. But glory for him and joy for you and each other. When we get past the resistance and say, I need to belong and I'm ready to help others belong. And when we do that right here, we can go and say to those who feel like they don't belong, you do, you do. Walk with me, I'll show you how. So this is a time to pray and then come and let's serve each other and let's experience Christ. Hmm? If we don't do it together, I don't like our chances. But if we do, when we do, nothing's going to stop his kingdom. And we'll be whole. Don't go it alone. We love you.